0: Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 15, 14, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It is a delight and honor to have you as part of our audience. If you are a regular listener, or even if you're just listening for the first time, if you've been blessed by the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, either through our podcast that you're listening to right now, or the free resources that are available online, or in any other way, uh, please consider supporting the ministry of the BCC. We are a faith supported, nonprofit ministry that relies on donations from people like you. So if we've been a blessing to you. Please uh, bless us by supporting and ensuring that we can continue to do this work. We really rely on you and and are thankful for our partners and people who support the ministry. Today, you get to hear an interview that I did with my predecessor, the second executive director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Dr. Garrett Higby. And Garrett has moved on to other things. He is the pastor of biblical soul care at Harvest Church in Indianapolis, as well as a care specialist for the Great Commission Collective, a church planting network. He's also the president and founder of 12 Stones Ministries in Brown County, Indiana. Uh, He's lots of experience counseling and leading other counselors and equipping other counselors. And today you get to hear an interview with Garrett talking about Garrett and sharing a little bit of his life story, how he became a believer, how he got into biblical counseling, and uh, some lessons learned learned both from the challenges as well as the, the joys of counseling. I hope that it encourages you, inspires you and spurs you on in your own counseling ministry. Thanks again for listening. All right, Garrett Higby, thanks so much for joining us for 1514
1: today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Curtis.
0: So why don't you introduce yourself to our audience for those who haven't had a chance to meet you?
1: Yeah. So as uh, you've said, my name's Garrett Higby. I'm a, uh, Obviously, one of the things you and I share is the love for biblical counseling and the biblical counseling coalition. Um And um, so I've been on that board since it started. Um Tammy, my wife and I have been married almost 25 years. So we are super excited to go celebrate that the faithfulness of God for that period of time. We have Rachel, Zach and Sarah, Rachel and Zach are at Cedarville and Sarah's being homeschooled um, and she will be going into ninth grade next year, which is crazy. And uh, yeah, we live in Westfield, Indiana and um, I'm involved with a bunch of different ministries. You are involved with a bunch of different ministries. Why don't you briefly tell everybody what some of those different ministries are? Okay. Um, Probably the longest standing ministry that I've been involved with is 12 Stones uh, Ministry in Brown County, Indiana. We started that. Tammy and I moved down there in 2005 and uh, worked there to build up that ministry with a friend of ours, Rob Bessosa, and his wife, Mary. Um, And then we uh, left there after about five years to go up to Chicago and be part of Harvest Bible Chapel. Um, And to build a soul care uh, culture there, that was our hope. And then we uh, ended up back here in 2017. I'm part of uh, also uh, uh, soul care consulting, which is a ministry I started to uh, help churches both in terms of their leader health, as well as implementing a soul care culture in their church. Um, Part of the BCC, as you know, and then um, the Great Commission Collective, which one day a week, I just focus on helping pastors and wives stay healthy. And then I am a pastor at Harvest uh, Bible Church, not really connected to the Chicago churches in any way, but a church that, Um, He's here in Indianapolis and uh, is about 15 years old, and I'm helping um, them with some soul care uh, type work at their church.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things I... Love having you on the podcast for and, and connecting people to you as you have a, a wide background, variety of different ministry opportunities and experiences. And uh, so, yeah, just grateful for uh, your leadership in biblical counseling. And obviously being the executive director of the BCC before me, uh, huge thank you for, for all you do in that. Uh, so we're going to take some time to get to know you um, so tell us about your family, uh, what, what it was like for you to grow up. What were you like as a kid?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was reflecting on that, um, knowing that we were going to be talking about it. And I was just thinking about how I didn't know this, but God kind of had his hand on my life in ways that are now very clear. But back then I wouldn't have had a clue as a kid because we, I didn't, I grew up in a home where we went to church for the first six or seven years of my life. My dad was an executive. We moved quite a bit, but, um, And when I was about six, we landed in Northern Indiana in Elkhart. Um, and when I, when, when I was seven, my dad died. So when my dad died, we, um, we still went to this Methodist church, but it was four boys. Um, I was the youngest and we were a handful for sure. I think one of the deacons went to my mom and said, you know, Hey, um, get a handle on your kids or don't bring them to Sunday school. That was the last time we went to church for the rest of my childhood, which, but what's really cool is that I believe that God, you know, was even in that and redeeming that later in my life. And my a deep impression was put on me that, you know, church is not really about some organized religion churches, uh, about people. Um, but anyway, I, I grew up, you know, in Elkhart, um, uh, I would say that I had a pretty good upbringing considering the loss of my dad. My mom was, uh, able to sort of step up and be in many ways, a really excellent parent in spite of not really having much uh, connection to the church or to support. She just sort of, um, was just a really good woman in a lot of ways. So, um, she, she was, she left quite an impression on me, um, even into my teen years, which weren't necessarily great years, but, um, I, I would say my rebellion was, Uh, limited by the uh, desire not to hurt my mom. (laughs) You know, just not not really wanting to make her life any more complicated than the other three boys were making it. Wow.
0: Yeah. So what were you into and what did you enjoy doing as a child and as a teenager?
1: I was always into nature. I had about every kind of animal you could imagine growing up. (laughs) Um, Literally had it all mini zoo in my in my room most of the time um and my mom was pretty great about la- allowing that as long as i kept it clean um and then i ran i started running a lot when i was uh even uh 10 11 12 and then uh, ran through my teens i think that was a good outlet for me um and uh, sometimes i would you know run 10, 15 miles a day, you know? So, um, that was a, that was just a way to cope probably more than anything, but it also became kind of my sport. Um, but between outdoors running, um, being pretty much adventurous, doing as much as I could do with friends outdoors. Um, that was most of my childhood. We, you, you remember the days you just, you, you leave, After breakfast, and you come home, you know, maybe for lunch, then you're gone again, especially in the summer, and you get home when it's dark. And that was kind of my, you know, my childhood. God was gracious. Uh, Again, I see God's hand now, that a couple of Christian families, essentially, with pretty strong fathers, adopted me. And my mom was smart enough to send me over there quite a bit uh, and keep me (laughs) craziness in our family because our the other three boys responded to my dad's death in different ways some not as well as others. Mm. <clears throat> so speaking of families,
0: Christian families and and not assuming that they were instrumental in your faith, but what what did bring you to faith in God and how did you become a believer?
1: Yeah. So I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but when I was, um, you know, I was curious about those things, um, and, and watching people try to model different parts of that, but I really wasn't until I was at Purdue and I was 19 and, um, some guys came over and shared the bridge illustration, uh, at my dorm. And I'm like, that makes sense. Um, that, yeah, I could see And Jesus, I would say, uh, became kind of my hero, uh, when I was 19 and Jesus was just all right with me from 19 to 32, but he was not my Lord. I was still doing what I wanted. I was still living, uh, for self in a lot of ways. Um, um, I was just aware that there was a, there was a, god out there and there was probably a savior somewhere in the mix that wanted me to you know completely turn my life over but just hadn't done that um when i was 32 i had returned back to indiana from being out east and um a friend of mine basically dra- kind of dragged me to a baptist church uh, college park church in Indianapolis and basically a men's group. And I was shocked at how sincere these guys were about their faith and, um, yet interested in my life and wanting me to understand how they got there, uh, humbly and, and honestly. And so, uh, that it really left an impression on me and within, um, uh, a few months of going to that men's group, I, uh, you know, dove into the Bible and went through the gospels and read root mirror Christianity and a couple other books. And, then I gave my life to Christ right around my 33rd birthday. Wow! So backtrack
0: a little bit when, what you, you went to Purdue, what were you studying there and what led you to, to go there and study that?
1: Yeah, at Purdue, I studied, I started in marine biology, believe it or not, um, thinking I would probably someday do something with, uh, you know, uh, that profession. But then within a year, uh, science was hard and psychology was easy. Um, And so I started taking more psych classes and I was kind of a natural in that area, according to some of the professors in terms of some of the stuff I was doing. I joined the Lafayette Crisis Center um and did a bunch of stuff with really uh difficult uh people who um you know needed counsel and care whether it be suicidal or drug addicted or homeless or whatever. And I I loved it. Um, and I became a trainer there by the time I was 21, uh, that would have been in the um, late eighties, mid eighties, um, that I got really hooked into counseling and, um, and to the point where, um, I went into the wilderness to work with kids in a counseling situation with really tough adjudicated youth out east, and then um, and then I um, went and got my doctorate, uh, in my PsyD at the Virginia Consortium, and did my my um, my doctoral work at William and Mary, which is pretty rigorous, um, and then um, uh, graduated in 1990 with a doctorate and wondering if psychology was really all that it said it was i was probably had a health healthy skepticism about it but i i had gone through all that schooling so i was going to give it a shot you know so that's kind of where i was when when god got a hold of me honestly right coming out of graduate school wow and and uh where where did you meet Tammy along the way or did she come uh, in later? a little later? Um, by God's grace, she didn't meet me when I was uh, living for self. Um, I had come to Christ in 90, 93 and met her in 96 at College Park. She had come over there for some study and uh, evening type things that were going on. And we met through some mutual friends and really enjoyed each other and uh, spent about a year uh, getting to know each other. I didn't know how to date really as a Christian. I didn't really understand it. I just knew that you were supposed to be pure and try to get to know the person. So that was really good because we became good friends. And then it was like, okay, now we need to get married. So we took six weeks, uh, of engagement because I did not trust, uh, any longer period of time for that. <laughs> just knowing me and my background as well as just Tammy was ready to. So we're like, okay, so we planned, she basically planned a wedding, uh, and, and, and pulled it off 300 people. It was crazy. And about, you know, six, eight weeks. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's, inc- that is incredible. So, you know, you come to faith at 32 or 33, uh, almost 33 and working in psychology. How did you get introduced to biblical counseling and then come over into the biblical counseling world?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, this is kind of a funny story. So I'm as naive as they come about all this Bible stuff. Like I'm in, I'm starting to fall in love with the Bible and Jesus, but I don't see how that has anything to do with my profession per se. As a matter of fact, I didn't even see how psychology and the Bible could mix at all which I still really don't. But anyway, so um, and and so by God's grace, then my pastor who knew a bunch of people who's pretty well connected to the biblical counseling world. So you got to come down to this conference in South Carolina. I think it would have been around 93 and um, it's a, it was a NANC conference and I had no idea what Nank was. I didn't, you know, no idea what any of that was, but I went and I was just fascinated by how they were talking about how applicable the Bible was. Um, I would say my love for applied theology was sparked right there. Um, But there was this sort of weird, like I'm a foreigner and I'm not sure I'm really welcome, but this is fascinating. Um, And then um, my pastor said, Hey, I want you to come meet some people. So we went to a hotel room and I kid you not, it was the strangest thing. I walk in and there's Jay Adams, uh, David Pollison, Steve Byers, Randy Patton and Bob Smith and me.
0: <laughs> and I don't know who these <laughs> guys are,
1: but they're all like, I'm asking them all kinds of crazy questions and they're just sweet. And I think that was the beginning of like, oh, this guy needs a lot of help. So <laughs> a lot of them became mentors Um, over the next couple of years, I could connect with them by God's grace. I got to go and travel with them and even got to teach a little bit with them over the next several years, um, got to meet then Paul Tripp and, and Ed Welch and others. And then, you know, a lot of guys that really, I would say were formative to my thinking about biblical counseling. I skipped right over integration. Didn't make sense to me to try to integrate what I was doing, I was quickly, you know, sort of like trying to bring the Bible into my private practice, into the hospital programs. And uh, that wasn't super popular. Um, (laughs) I was trying to be cool about it, but eventually people were like, yeah, this might not be where you need to be long term. So basically, I, I jumped into ministry in the mid 90s and sort of left psychology behind. Well wow, what
0: a great opportunity to, to get mentored by those those leaders uh right away and just take you know, obviously the learning and your the gifting that the Lord had given you uh into that. So that's that's incredible. Uh so what's what's one of the hardest things you've faced in counseling ministry?
1: Um, you know, it's interesting. I think some of the hardest things for me have been um Going into counseling ministry for churches, thinking that the counseling ministry would be more important to the senior leadership or more um, impacting to the culture of the church than it really was. And so I would say that was really hard for me. It was hard for me at College Park. In some ways, I hit kind of a ceiling there, even though we had a thriving department, so to speak. It wasn't really as well integrated into the body life as I would have liked. Um, and then again, at Harvest Bible Chapel, it, we had a th- huge ministry, 70 formal counselors, hundreds of informal counselors, but and, he, and it did have an impact um, for sure on the culture, but never really uh, impacted the, the senior leadership the way I wanted it to. And, uh, so I felt like I hit a ceiling there. Um, and it was pretty disillusioning, I would say, um, uh, to me to feel like how can the church, as I understood the church from scripture, not embrace biblical counseling at every level of shepherding and care and see it more like a place to send people when they're really a mess. And so I've found that to be a hard, probably the hardest thing, not about, I've had some hard counseling cases, but those are to be expected and God always shows up. Um, but the, the thing that's probably been the hardest is the, is the way that biblical counseling has at times been siloed yeah in different
0: churches yeah no that's an interesting that's an interesting one um, and it is true I think that can be really discouraging i think especially for those counselors and a lot of our audience are these people where they're kind of isolated you know they're not there's not multiple biblical counselors on staff in a church, and some of them are plugging away as lay counselors in their ministry and just not really struggling to get the elders on board. So I think they'll appreciate hearing that, uh, your experience with that. Any, um, on that particular note, any word of encouragement on how to just encourage people to hang in there and, and strive and be faithful in those situations?
1: I think so. I think there's a couple things that you can do. One is you need to get really good at praying, Um, really good at getting on your knees and just asking God to move in spite of maybe some misunderstandings or, 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 you know, turf battles or siloing or whatever it is. Um, And just really humble yourself. I remember sitting with a guy, um, I won't say his name, but, you know, after two years of trying to, develop more of a, what I would call a DNA for soul care and discipleship. This guy came in my office and, and he had been kind of my, uh, competitor almost in the church. And, and he came in and he goes, Hey, I need to ask your forgiveness. And this was after a lot of prayer and just kind of trying to love this guy through some stuff. And he was a senior leader at church. He's like, I didn't want soul care Every time you do, you guys do anything with training and developing our leaders, they love it. They love the teaching and the content more than they should, like more than they like some of what we're doing in the discipleship realm. And I got jealous and I was blocking your ability to really completely um, bring a marriage between the discipleship and adult ministries and soul care. And I am so sorry, will you forgive me? Let's do this. And that was the beginning of a huge uh, shift in that church. Um, So, but that was prayer and testimony, watching people testify of what God was doing in the counseling room and even informally in the small group ministries as people got soul care trained and developed. And so I think testimony and prayer speaks louder than us complaining about feeling (laughs) unappreciated or whatever. Um, And then I think the other thing is do it for Jesus. Don't do it for anybody else. Like nothing, when it all comes down to it, there there's, there's, this is kind of a thankless kind of thing we do. Um, and we shouldn't be looking for a lot of gratitude. We should be looking for God's favor on us because we're faithful. Um, don't worry about the fruit. He'll take care of that. Don't worry you know, about the, the inroads you need to make. Just be humble and do your job and watch because God will over time, it might take a while, it might take a few years. He will start to win people because of the prayer and testimony. In most cases, I really have seen them do it in churches all over the country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I think that the faithfulness and just the fruit, when they start to see the fruit, sometimes they wake up and say, oh, this is, this is something we should we should do. Uh, what's um, maybe a mistake that you've made in counseling with it obviously not violating any confidentiality and but just we all mess up and i think it's encouraging for our audience to realize they're not alone in making mm-hmm. mistakes in counseling
1: yeah i i wrote a paper years ago it's probably still out there somewhere on the internet called the 10 most common counseling mistakes i've made them all um but the one i would say that bothers me the most that i've made in the past and still sometimes make is when i assume before i know or i hurry before i've really listened and it's kind of violating proverbs 18 13 particularly or even proverbs 20 verse 5 you know so i spoke before i fully understood the matter basically bringing shame and folly um and then i've um acted as if i understood something without fully drawing out the heart and then i'm on some kind of rabbit trail that's more fruit focused than root focused and those have been the biggest blunders i would say of my counseling career and i make them a lot less these days than i used to but i'm not in you know, likely I I, likely I'm going to do it again sometime. And then you hopefully you catch yourself though. And you're like, Oh, geesh, I am so sorry. Can we back up? I was not really fully embracing your story or trying to understand this part of your story or how it affected you. Can we just back up? Um, I'm so, you know, please forgive me. I've had to do that a few times, not just in my counseling, uh, but in my private life. Yeah. Amen. I mean, and praise the Lord that it's really the spirit
0: at work and we're, uh, as some well-titled book says, or instruments in his hands. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so what are some of the, what are some of your favorite things? What really gives you the greatest joy and keeps you going in counseling?
1: Yeah. I, um, I love it when people's life goes from black and white to technicolor in the gospels and in the word so in other words somebody might be saved or they might know the word somewhat or they come to church but then all of a sudden you get them in biblical counseling and they're like how did i not see this before or oh my goodness god is personal um Oh my goodness, God's character is beautiful. Oh my goodness, His promises are for me. Are you kidding me? Like that just makes that just puts a smile on my face every time, and it happens all the time, right? In our what we have a front row to watching God bring life to to unbelievers and for the first time, and believers. For, for for maybe uh, uh to redeem or to restore or or heal something and it's just beautiful like it's it's uh, it's it's holy ground and it's a privilege that i i don't really ever get tired of
0: mm, yeah that's a probably the most common response we get to that is the front row seat to watching God work. And it is, I love that imagery though, of going from black and white to technicolor. That's a nice way of seeing, seeing what we get to do. What, um, if you were to give one piece of advice to our audience, uh, you know, like I said, mostly biblical counselors out there, um, what would you like to share with them?
1: Yeah. I, I would just say that Christ always put, people before performance um and we've got to see people through the eyes of christ one of the most profound things that happened to to me when i got saved and i and probably i've got i'm going to read this because this scripture means so much to me um it's in second corinthians 5 14 and 15 and it just goes on but It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So just the ability to live for him instead of ourselves, to be controlled or compelled by love. And then it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we will. Once regarded Christ, according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And so the idea of seeing with new eyes and seeing people as people, not what they can do for you, not how well they did, not for works they can contribute. But just whether it be somebody that you're training or somebody that you're counseling or somebody that is in your family, just seeing them. For who they are and how God sees them, before you start to, you know, I guess it's like the indicatives before the imperatives, you know, um, and just that shift in my life and beginning to see people as, you know, as sinners, sufferers, and saints, you know, to get all together, you know, um, and, and and in many cases we we deal with people who um, are saints by god's you know uh grace but they're still sometimes sinning and often suffering and so to be able to see them through eyes like that or a lost soul for that matter that needs to become a saint one of those two that's who's walking around us either they're a they're there's they're a sufferer who sometimes is in sin because of their suffering They're a sinner who's caught in sin and probably suffering in it. Um, and, or they're unsaved and they need to be saved. So the gospel is always the answer, you know? And so I would just say seeing people as people who the way God sees them and, um, and knowing that we're not much different ourselves. Amen. Amen to that. Well, Garrett, thanks so much for
0: that. i save a couple minutes at the end of our podcast for a segment called two minute favorites. And I know you've been a guest before, but that was a, <laughs> a while ago. Uh, you up for this segment? Uh, I
1: I'll probably not say the same thing. So this will be interesting. Well, that's even,
0: even, yeah, even more interesting. All right. Uh, here we go.
1: What's your favorite food? My favorite food. Uh, Probably chicken and dumplings. Hmm. Favorite word? Redemption. Uh, Least favorite word?
0: Shame. Favorite color? Green. Favorite sport? Football. Favorite sports team?
1: Colts, of course. (laughs) Favorite gift you've ever received? My daughter gave me, uh, on my uh, 50th, birthday um 50 ways that I love my dad Hmm. favorite gift you've ever given um that is a good question um something I've probably given to my wife I'd say probably our 20th anniversary uh I gave her a trip to Hawaii favorite book of the bible That is a tough one because that does change, but I'd say the book of James.
0: Favorite book outside of scripture?
1: Hmm. Uh, Probably mere Christianity just because it had such an impact on me. Uh, Favorite ice cream flavor? I really like black cherry with real black cherries. Favorite candy? Uh, I've said this before, a bit of honey.
0: Favorite uh, favorite Bible
1: verse. Oh man! Well, I just probably read one of my favorites, and that is uh, Second Corinthians five fifteen. Uh, if you had any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Um, as I get older, probably the ability to heal quickly. <laughs>
0: I want to be like the Wolverine. All right. Well, Garrett, thanks so much again for joining us on 1514.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's great being with you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of
0: 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell,
1: who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.